by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. Well, hey, folks, this is Rev Yearwood, and I'm excited about this conversation. Hopefully, uh, you have just seen the amazing film, the documentary, Youth v. Gov. Um, and you can find out more about the film at youthbegovthefilm.com. If you haven't seen it, obviously, either you have seen it through the film festival or... Uh, if you didn't see it when we first aired this, then you probably you see it, you saw it going mainstream. But however, you are you are here now because you want some more information about all what's going on in regards to that documentary and the plaintiffs and just climate lit- litigation and so many things. And I am actually honored uh, to have with me two of the plaintiffs who are uh, I was joking with them who are now with me on the couch to discuss everything about their lives, the documentary, and what's going on and what's happening next. And so without further ado, let me just introduce them uh, to you. First, I have Kelsey Cascadia Rose Juliana of Eugene, Oregon, who is a 24-year-old who is serving as the first named plaintiff in the case of Juliana versus United States. And when she was 15, she co-filed a lawsuit against the Oregon state governor, and by 16, she was a trainer and organizer for the Sierra Student Coalition's organizing camp. At age 18, Kelsey participated in the Great March for Climate Action, marching 1,600 miles from Nebraska to Washington, D.C., urging climate action from world leaders. In 2015, at 19, more than most folks have even done when they get 50 or 60. She admitted, she submitted a constitutional climate change lawsuit along 20 other youth against the United States government, the documentary that you have just seen. Her background also includes work with iMatter, org, Greenpeace, and Earth Guardians. She was recently recognized as an, an addition to the collection of Americans who tell the truth Kelsey is an undergraduate student, University of Oregon. I think she's at the end of that process in Eugene and aspires to be a teacher, without a doubt. Uh, the other plaintiff is my dear brother and good friend, Vic Barrett, uh, from White Plains, New York. New York is in the building, 21 year old and has felt firsthand climate uh, impacts in the form of Hurricane Sandy. When his home lost power, and the school and local transport shut down, Vic uh, understood the impacts of this, particularly as a person of color. Vic is a fellow with the Alliance for Climate Education and traveled to Paris to attend and speak at the COP21 UN Conference on Climate Change. After marching in solidarity with more than 400,000 people at the People's Climate March in New York City, he organized his peers in local frontline climate campaigns, met with the Minister of Environment and Energy for the Maldives, and met with former U.S. astronaut Catherine D. Sullivan, who now serves as administrator for NOAA, which is all changing up by the time you maybe listen to this. He spoke at the United Nations uh, on uh, in that process, the headquarters in New York City, for a high 
level uh, thematic debate on achieving the sustainable development goals. He cares deeply. I mean, he cares deeply about climate change, justice, and human rights, especially regarding the way that climate change affects young people like him. Kelsey, Vic, how are y'all doing? Good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great. Um, like Kelsey said, excited to be on this show. Well, I'm excited to have y'all. And so folks have just seen um, uh, the documentary. Uh, what about you, Kelsey? What do you think, what do you think their thoughts are right now? You think they, you think they are, you think they were impressed? You think they are excited? What, what, are, your, what are your initial thoughts of someone seeing that documentary? Well, you know, I have to say, honestly, I was, I was actually a little surprised watching the documentary and my goodness, the documentary was what I, you know, myself and Vic and our co-plaintiffs and everyone involved has lived for years now. And it surprised me in how um, important it is as a film and not because it's about just this case, but because of the broad takeaways that, that this film provides in terms of lesson on civics in the United States in terms of science, um, education, and, um, you know, it engages with all types of individuals who are part of the climate movement. And by that, I mean their backgrounds, their interests, their, um, you know, what compelled people to join the climate movement to, to take climate action. So I thought the film was damn good. It was amazing. It was more, it was so much more than I expected in terms of um, what you could take away from the film and the importance uh, towards education and ins- inspiration for viewers. That's what's up. Vic, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, something I'd hope people to get from it or by the end of it, see it kind of, not, you know, not just us as plaintiffs or activists in, that, in the big sense, but also us as sort of like characters with stories and narratives and um, lives. And I think that it does a great job of exploring the nuances. Uh, the fact that we're, like, we're all individual young people that are going through our own things at the same time as seeing the federal government. I mean, I love how it highlights our personal relationships to each other too. So I think that'll be... Um, something that people notice and hopefully, you know, take away one day after they watch the film. I'm going to get right to the end. I mean, then we're going to get some questions. I actually want to get right to the end of the film, Kelsey. Um, the film ends actually on a note that isn't like the most inspiring notes. It ends on a note where the legal system is kind of messed up, um, you know, and I know folks who are tuning in right now probably just want to ask you, what are, what are your thoughts? know how it ended well it's a his it's a film that is contemporary to the point where just like our kid you know the, the film left off at exactly the point where this work is leaving off which is unfinished and so of course you have to finish a film in order to put it out there so i think it did a great job in terms of wrapping up the best of the ability, including the story, to be produced into a film. But yeah, this case isn't over and there's um, there's a lot of legal obstacles, but this work is in the legal system. And so it's a matter of playing the game and the game is frustrating as hell, which is why the plaintiffs 
and other participants that you see in the film are doing this work, you know, to go through this legal avenue, but it is not the sole track that we are engaging in climate activism, that we are engaging in in change-making. And so we follow along with the legal track to see what this process is like, recognizing that this is just one avenue and just part of the whole, you know, collective of actions and strategies within the climate movement. Hmm. Vic, is that your account is going to be a, a UV Gov too? Um, when this film ends? Um, I think I would echo a lot of what Kelsey said in the sense that, like, I think that was a perfect way to put it, sort of, it's a contemporary, um, it's a contemporary movie, it takes place right now in the, with what's, sorry, my cat is involved, (laughs) um, but yeah, it takes place right now, um, and, like, leaves off where we left off, and it's just realistic to the story of, like, you know, the progression that we're waiting for, like Kelsey said, you know, we've been waiting like over a year now with COVID considered as well, like, and films can't wait that long, but I feel happy kind of with the end point because it does speak to sort of the fluidity of what we've been experiencing for a few years now of how, just how the legal system works, basically. Nah, I mean, that's amazing. You know, Kelsey and Vic, I've gotten to know you guys well over the, over the, the years. Interesting, you know, you, I guess during that time, I guess the film was happening in some regards, doing that, doing that aspect. And so, you know, you know, you're both college students and you're both living your lives and, you know, people now see you on the stage, but I guess for those who don't know you, I guess I'm with you, Vic, who, who is Vic Barrett? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I'm just uh, in a lot of ways, like, well, right now I'm not in school, so like, and I'm working full time with the Alliance for Climate Education, doing voter voter registration and democracy organizing and stuff like that. So like in a lot of ways, just a regular 21 year old, you know, trying to like figure out adulting. (laughs) So no more Wisconsin, I guess we can't watch Wisconsin football. Your thing was to kind of go watch a a Wisconsin football game. They they played yesterday, but, I don't think you can go watch them in person. So out in Wisconsin and Madison, um, you know, working a job, uh, trying to take care of my cat, do things like clean my apartment, (laughs) regular uh, learning how to grow up stuff while also just, uh, you know, showing up and speaking up in the ways that I have since I was younger. That's what's up. Man, you know, there's a part uh, in the film that gets kind of heavy in your in your role with with your dad. Um, how did you feel that part being portrayed? Sorry, um, could you? There was there was a part in the film um, that got heavy. That was kind of with you and your and your father. How do you feel that came out and that was portrayed? Um, yeah, I think that Christy did a really good job of capturing that and was super intentional. Um, and the questions that she asked me and my dad, all we had that conversation it was always um, really genuine about it wanting to just be like giving us a space to have a conversation we hadn't really gotten to have in depth. And I think that um, the way that she frames it is really good because she 
shows it not as him necessarily being an adversary, but there's just being somebody who has um, that has a different perspective and has things to learn. Um, and so I think that she framed it really intentionally in a really good way. No, that actually was one of the most powerful of many, many scenes. I actually loved that. Um, it was very touching, very powerful, um, you know, in that aspect. Because those, those are some real, it was like real conversations. And also with you, Kelsey, was actually, you know, seeing this, how your parents were uh, locking themselves to uh, <laughs> the tractors and getting it in. I now understand that the, the fruit don't fall too far from the tree. Now, <laughs> Clear on that. Now I'm clear. Now I get it. I get it, get it, get it. Um, but for those who don't know, maybe you want to, and two things, I guess one is who is Kelsey Juliana, but also for those who don't know what the case is, because your name's on it, um, what is what is Juliana versus the uh, United States? Yeah, well, for the first question, I just want to kind of reiterate what Vic said, you know, like my dog, I have, I have two dogs and one of them just decided doesn't like walks doesn't like walks. I'm like, you are a dog. <laughs> you need to go on walks. So this entire week I've been having to rewash. Every time I wash my little throw carpet, she pees on my rug because she won't go outside to pee. So this whole, this whole week I've had to wash this carpet. I think it just like, it's going to fray and I'm going to have to get rid of it. So anyways, it's yeah, sure. We're doing this you can see us in this film, but that doesn't, that's just, that's just following the specific work. We still have other, you know, very real world trying to figure out how to function and make sense of our own lives and what are our priorities, what are our core values and how are we going to, you know, situate ourselves as we're growing up. We're in our young 20s and some of the youngest plaintiffs are barely teenagers. So I just wanted to kind of bounce back off of that, of what Vic said earlier. That's, that's who I am. I'm just trying to finish up my degree. I've been in college for six, maybe seven years in and out, taking, you know, two, taking nine credits out of term, skipping a full year, just doing what I can do working several jobs at a time to, to, you know, be able to put myself through school and yada, yada, yada. So that's, that's who I am <laughs> alongside this. And I hope to be an educator because I recognize that the work that is important to me and the work that I'm doing in this and that you see in the film of trying to, you know, advert climate destabilization and call out oppressive powers, that work I think is going to be a lifetime. That's why I want to go into education because I hope to do that in the classroom for groups of children at a time and to make them feel empowered from day one, not to have to wait until they're adult to feel like they have a sense of power, to feel like they have a voice, which is what I was told throughout my childhood. You are the future. You are the future. You're the future. And I was sick of it. I wanted to be <laughs> participating in the issues that I cared about then, you know, not to wait to act on the issues that I care about until I was old enough. So anyways, the case Juliana v. United States is a case of 21 young people across the U.S. who are um, going through the courts 
to address climate change by um, putting in place a climate recovery plan that would address climate change and lower emissions through multiple sectors in, in the United States. It would be enforceable by the courts, but it would be up to the other branches of government to, you know, of course, implement. And um, we also want a uh, constitutional right to a stable climate system capable of sustaining human life. And this case of, is, of course, not against fossil fuel industry. It is young people versus government. So it's about the actions of the United States government that span decades and decades to directly impact, um, you know, skyrocketing emissions of greenhouse gases and climate, climate change contribution. Hmm. No, I think the film lays that out. I, like, I love how the, I think in our movement, we, we sometimes forget about the litigation part about the movement. You know, we, you know, we kind of go at the demonstration you when know, we go into the streets. You know what I'm saying? That's what we, what we know. We go into the streets, but demonstration without litigation leads to frustration. I want to get into the case about how, you know, you felt the U.S. government infringed upon the rights of you and other plaintiffs. But before I get to that, you now, because like I said, I know you both now and you're both amazing. I, I, I just want to say that outright. You both just great people. And I, by no, like you said before, you're also just young people. You're just trying to do your thing and finish school and work and do what you got to do. You've also been kind of exposed to not only to the fossil fuel industry, but the climate movement industry in some aspects um, on both sides. You've been exposed to all aspects. And so where you were then when this when the suit first started and kind of where you are now. Um, and this is just one of those kind of keeping 100, not like you would change, you know, of course you'd be, you, you are, you are, you do this. But if you could, knowing, knowing what you know now, um, would you still be a plaintiff? I guess Kelsey first. It's a harder one. I know that's a, that's a, that's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know that this is a group effort, and yet I know that there are classrooms, there are communities, there are people I don't even know that have been impacted by our work. There have been people that I know that have been impacted by me showing up in their church and giving a short presentation. So, and I was impacted. I was compelled to take to, or rather not compelled, empowered to have a voice and show up in the kind of movement because of someone who was very close in age to me. At the time he was 13 and I was 10. So I know that being young and participating mattered to people and matters to people still. So I would not change participating. I'm sure that other youth, I'm not sure. I know that other youth would have stepped in, would have found new avenues. I mean, there are cases all around the world um, where young people are, are taking to the courts as well as the streets. 
So if I wasn't a plaintiff on this case, you know, it, this is our, our generation, not just the 21 people, but our generation is taking on this issue. So I'm confident other young people would have been a part of this. Um, because the reality is that whether or not my actions changed and if I wasn't the case, a part of the a plaintiff on this case, the government wouldn't have changed their course. And so, I don't know. It's a tough question, honestly. I think I, I need... No, no, I, I'll, let, I'll let Vic rock and roll with it. And, then we'll, and if you have something you want to add more to it, I, you answered it well. I think, I, I, Vic, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I think that's super... Like, I, I totally hear what Kelsey is saying. Um, I also, I feel like... I I definitely I mean there's definitely interviews we do sometimes where they ask sort of more generally like you know do you, we always say like we you, it's not cool that young people have to be climate activists or have to be like plaintiffs on lawsuits against their government and things like that so I guess there is a part of me that wishes there was a reality where we didn't you know, <laughs> where none of this ever had to happen but in the reality where it did I think that you know like my participation on the lawsuit at least helped me really find a voice and like platforms that maybe I wouldn't have found otherwise or met people I wouldn't have met otherwise and just gave me like, like a really amazing, I think it opened me up to a lot of really amazing experiences. Like, you know, with my co-plaintiffs going to different places and like me and Kelsey met Chris Evans, <laughs> like, you know, like things like that are like, you know, really cool stuff. You don't, forget and even stuff outside of that like put trips I got to go on that maybe I wouldn't have had gotten to if I wasn't a plaintiff and met connections there that you know made connections that way that inspired me to keep doing the work like I feel like being a plaintiff has really been a large part of what's like solidified me in the fact that I like working in the climate movement and I like speaking up about climate justice and making and letting people understand things that maybe they wouldn't have understood otherwise um so I think like every life experience basically it's taught it taught me a lot about myself in a unique way. So I can't take that for granted. No, thank you both for that answer. And the reason I ask that question, I want people to know that it's hard to be transparent. You know, I had a documentary, it was called Hip Hop Rev, that was done by this by um, Discovery Channel, um, actually almost 10 years ago now. And it just kind of Looked at my looked at my life and different things, and it ended with how the Mac the, the Marquis Washington failed, and it was just you know it was just like a failure, and it was hard. Um, but it also was just it was hard because your your, your life is always kind of captured. I was I look back on that now, and I look so much younger, and my, my kids are actually like little kids, and like you know it just is it 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 just it just, it just when you're in when you're on these things to see. I mean, I wouldn't, I'm like you, I, I would answer both how you both answered it. I would say, Red, were you happy when you were hit by Red? I'd be like, yeah, you know, I'm happy I did it. It brought me to the kind of movement more so. Um, it helped me to, you know, particularly my the role of film was to get more black people engaged in the kind of movement. That's, you know, that's great. It just that it just, it just, it makes it, it makes it hard. And I just, I just know that when these things are happening, it's not as, it, it, it the film sometimes makes it look like you guys are just, like everything is rosy, you know, you're dancing and you're singing. And I'm like, I know for me, that ain't, that ain't how it is, right? That's just not, 
I don't know about maybe what maybe it was for y'all. Maybe maybe y'all was like, you know, maybe y'all was just happy. But when you're fighting the government, that ain't easy. And there was one scene, let me bring it up. The scene particularly when you're doing the deposition. Um that to me was the scene where I was like, dang, I I was I was hurting for y'all. I mean, it was like it was painful. I think it ends with you, but yeah, like a little you know, kind of funny at the end. <laughs> it was actually that was I was happy. I was you when that when the scene with you ends with you, I was happy, but that was painful. And that's what I mean. This this wasn't taking on the US government, fighting for life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, fighting knowing that they did this wrong to us. Folks didn't understand that with you and your your co-planners, that was brave, but it was hard. I guess that's what I want you to kind of speak to. Like that moment there, like like, no, this wasn't easy. Fighting against the U.S. government is no easy thing. Kelsey, I, I see your hands there. I, would, I see, I see you. Just, I, I can see in your face. What are your thoughts? I just, I'm so with you. You know, that scene, the deposition scene, I lost it. I completely lost it. Um, because as you see in the film, you know, you can think of all of us as characters with, sharing different stories, you know, using film language, I guess. And you'll see, like, my character talks about being, like, I, I share how I feel like I'm a big sister or, an, or the auntie or whatever you want to ex- express. And in my other leadership roles, I was a leader on an outdoor, um, an outdoor program in high school. I was also, like, Mama Kels and you know, I've kind of always taken on that role, um, or feel compelled to, or whatever. And that's part of why I'm in the climate movement in general, because of that concern for future generations that I talk about in the film. And so seeing that deposition scene, just like really, really that part of me, the wanting to to protect and care for and almost shelter younger young young younger um children and whatnot that really hurt because the depositions well first of all it was a shock I did not know that that was I did not know that they would be able to um release that and to show them so that was shocking to see um but then also just that was information like no one else was privy to seeing those depositions they were conducted all over the country you were in a alone, a room alone with a lawyer and then of course the defendants, lawyers, and this clerk. And so there were private sessions conducted. And I mean, at least for myself, they did two depositions. I had to come back a second day and they asked me about really invasive questions, really personal questions. Um, Yeah, it was, I mean, you'll see like those questions were completely outlandish, some of them. And also felt very, um, yeah, I just felt really bad, like seeing the sense of pressure put on our co-plaintiffs, particularly for me with watching Hazel, Mm -hmm. trying to figure out how do I understand this question asking me about, you know, measuring the parts per million of CO2 in the atmosphere. Like the answer is no, I've never done that, but you want to you're taught as children to, you know, respect authority, to respect adults, to, um, answer the question. So it's, it's, 
it's hard to get out of that mindset. And that's the rude awakening of this case is like, you're young and you're learning that your government, your government, you know, the branch of leaders that was not elected by you, you yourself as a child has been doing everything in their power to, to harm you um, and go against the what's in your best interests and in safety and security. And that's a huge letdown. It's a huge disappointment. And I personally, I really felt that in the deposition scene. Hmm. Yeah, the, the, the deposition scene is definitely a lot. It was, um, I also didn't really explain it. I, I expect it. No, <laughs> I wasn't really expect it um, to come up. And it's so interesting, like going through that. But you, but you both say that you didn't, you, you, you guys didn't expect it to be in the film. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was definitely just, yeah, really hard to watch like, over because I think, or not hard, but in hindsight, I was like, okay, I remember that day and being so nervous and all the questions that were being asked. And like Kelsey said, there's this expectation, you know, like, you like, when I was watching, I was like, oh, no one would answer. Anyone who watches that can see the ridiculousness of the questions they're asking us and all that. But in the moment, I just remember being like, oh God, like, what do I have to know? Like, it, yeah, it was really hard seeing Hazel and everything because it was like, I remember that feeling and you're trying to like, they're trying to trick you and it, it is messed up. It's especially like seeing the youth plaintiffs, like literally, I don't even know how old Hazel was probably in the footage, but yeah, it's definitely hard to watch um, considering, considering like all the anxiety that I feel like from each one of us, probably at least if anyone was half as anxious as I was, you know, like all the anxiety collectively that got poured into that process. But like, it also felt good to sort of be able to see it. And there's a few things about it that made me sort of laugh. And that was cool too, because, um, because like I said, it was a stressful experience. No, it was, it was crazy. It's a crazy scene and a whole section. And it's, it's crazy because I mean, I already don't like the philosophy industry, right? So I'm not a fan. I was really, I, you know, I'm like, I was like, you know, when to bring my hip hop side. Like, oh, I'm here to bust the door. Hold on, Vic. Hold on. <laughs> you know, and we be hold on, Kelsey. You know, that you know, and, you know. But uh, it was it was crazy because it's like they all. I mean, here you had this industry that's already extracted, that's hurting us and killing us. Their business plan, the destiny for us, and still here they are talking to young people. You know, in a way that they know is crazy. I mean, it was like, yo, this is outrageous. You know. Um, so, uh, and actually speak to what you just said, Kelsey, do you feel both of y'all and also, I think like it was a few of the older plaintiffs, you see this, but like with Levi and some of the younger ones, um, it's clear y'all also, you did have like a little bit of a protective. I mean, do you still feel that way now? I mean, obviously they're no, they're no longer, it's kind of after the fact, but also and Levi is the one who has great gray hairs as as a as Vic was saying, the, the, the beautiful afro down there in Florida, hanging on the trees, if you saw it. But uh, do y'all still feel a little protective of the younger crew? Because it seemed like, I mean, they were like kids, kids. I mean, they were like, a lot of y'all like, uh, you know, ex and others, like some of y'all were like were older and you get this kind of, you know, you always see y'all like teens and young adults, but these were children. Did y'all feel like, kind of like, I'm always getting the, the outro of distrust. 
and everybody who was just there. But do y'all feel as plaintiffs protective as well? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say that like at the time it definitely, I don't know, I didn't have many like younger siblings or spend much time with a lot of people that were younger than me, even when I was a kid. I didn't even spend that much time with other kids. So I think it was like a really, it felt so familial familial every time we were together and kind of like, I think gave me an opportunity to learn things like when, you know, like patience at certain times and also just how to like let loose and have fun sometimes and not take everything so seriously. And like, you know, there's a lot of lessons that I learned, I think getting to interact with the younger plaintiffs and I think the way that sort of that's we haven't all gotten to see each other like collectively in a while, obviously because of COVID and everything. But it's so nice, like even following everyone on social media and having certain people on things like Snapchat and things and everything like that. Um, it's kind of one of my first experiences of getting to see people. So like growing up, and I'm not that much older than all of them, but I guess significantly enough for me to be like, okay, like I met Levi when he was eight, and he's like. 13 now like I've seen a lot of tangible like I've seen him through a lot of like life processes I've seen him through like some tangible changes um and same with like other plaintiffs too and I think that um that's a really dope experience to get to have well that's amazing no I think it's it was amazing to see that and I've seen that in person and I've and also you guys have kind of come of age when the youth climate movement has also kind of grown Right when I guess when the case first starts, and then you bring on the global youth movement, and obviously a lot of them more of the youth organizations. You've also seen that kind of emerge. Um, I kind of want to get to this that, that fossil fuel. When did you know? Um, when was the moment? I guess when you realized that this was having an impact on the fossil fuel industry, or it was drawing attention from that they were like. Oh, okay. We need to pay attention to this case. Like, when did you did you know it as plaintiffs, or you know, how did that kind of come about? Sorry, Kelsey. Well, well, the fossil fuel. So, in August of 2015, we filed the case, and that fall against the federal government, right? Just the young young plaintiffs against the the, the federal government of the U.S. And that fall, they um, I say they. <laughs> hundreds, I think it was 700, is that right? Fossil fuel companies through um, three different coalitions of representation petitioned to become intervener defendants and sit on the same side as the government. And so that, I mean, obviously that was alarming. Like, oh, wow, we have the attention of the fossil fuel industry. But obviously the fossil fuel industry is a party in terms of the conversation of climate change. Mm-hmm. Growing up, learning about climate change um, and being concerned about this issue, how could you not think about and care about the fossil fuel industry? Um, so that wasn't really, to me, that didn't really mean much. It was like, yeah, you know, screw you guys, like bring it on. <laughs> Literally sit at the same table and help me out. When I, instead of giving metaphors to people about the situation, just please let me take a photo of you sitting at the same table, help me out a lot. Okay. So. It didn't really, it wasn't anything um, extraordinary for me. What really drew my attention was when they petitioned to leave the case. So the Mm -hmm. fossil fuel industry petitioned to be on the case um, as uh, to sit alongside the defendants. But when we showed signs of winning, 
Then the fossil fuel industry wanted to leave before we were granted the opportunity to um, to go through the discovery process. And then we'd be granted oh. all access to all of their information, all of their records, et cetera, et cetera. So it was actually them leaving our case. That was kind of the most notable point for me. So I thought, so yeah, I'm glad you said that because I thought it was like maybe in the film, maybe just when I was, you know, I got to watch it again now, but it's like, <laughs> I thought it was uh, um, like when, when Obama became president, they wanted to like get off the case. It was, it was more than that. It was more than that. It actually had nothing to do with the administration. In fact, oh gosh, in my memory, no, you know what? So we filed in 2015. We were granted to go to trial by a lower district court judge, Coffin. Then the defendants, and this is including the intervener defendants, the industry, right? So they immediately onboarded onto the case. And so then they petitioned to, they, they appealed that decision, excuse me. Sorry, the language, ugh, language is exhausting. Okay, let's just say it, start over. Immediately after filing the case, in fossil fuel industry jumps on board. We win our first decision to go to trial. The fossil fuel industry and the government appeal that. They say, uh-uh, I don't think so. So then we grant... Um, we get a second positive decision. Now, this is in 2016, after Trump has been elected, after election day. We get this second positive decision by the highest judge in the court to go to trial. It is at that point, we are in the Trump administration. So it doesn't have to do with the administration necessarily. It was really just that positive ruling that showed signs of us gaining leverage and us winning and opening up to discovery process, then they left. So the administration didn't really, I mean, we filed under Obama, or rolled over under Trump. Their stance as defendants became more aggressive and ridiculous, but the fossil fuel industry didn't really. Wow, that's good. That's good. Like, Thank you for that insight. I right, see. That was... <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. I, I just really thought that was, you know, that was interesting because, you know, that that also just shows how long this process takes, which is crazy, you know, because you, you start out you, and then you have so many ups and downs. You know, Vic, one of the things, you know, that judges like Coffin and Aiken agreed that the government was violating your rights, right? Judge Aiken says, quote, I have no doubt that the right to a climate system capable of sustaining human life is fundamental to free and ordered society, end quote. So, you know, what, what, what do you think that had not only on the U.S. court system, but on future court cases? Yeah, I think that quote is always a really good example I bring up of, like, you know, all the stakes that come on the table when it comes to a court case outside of just like powering through and winning, like they take so, there's years, it's a process really at the end of the day. But through that process, so much change can happen um, in terms of like how precedents are set. And like the way that law works is, you know, those two federal judges affirmed something that is really huge. And you just said right there that sustaining human life is fundamental 
to society, to a positive society. Um, and there's no way that, you know, when people are in the future as more like environmental cases are filed and cases pertaining to climate change, maybe in cases outside of that, when it comes to youth rights and civil rights um, and constitutional rights, I think that people are gonna look back and, you know, cite Juliana versus US on a lot of some of the on a lot of the decisions that we got and um and some of the things that judges were able to affirmed for us along the way. No, I think they definitely will be citing this case. They already are citing this case. You know, um Kelsey, in that in that aspect, you know, what what do you think um as you mentioned earlier, you said a lot of uh, other countries are now suing their government. In essence, we saw that in Canada, we see it around the globe. Um, and you kind of mentioned that as one of the good reasons why you were, you took it on the chin. You and all you guys took it on the chin in this process to, to, to do this and to, to make it happen. Um, you know, what are your thoughts in regards to how litigation is used in the climate movement? I mean that because we have a movement that, that deals a lot with um, advocacy, which is good. A movement that deals a lot with bringing awareness, which is important. Your parents, obviously, you know, were part of the demonstration aspects, amongst other things. But what do you think now? I mean, this seems like this is, this seemed more like it was out of the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It seemed more like it was Brown v. Board Education, more like the Dred Scott case, more of using litigation, more like, you know, the Voting Rights Act. So how do you feel now being kind of put into that category? Like, that's where this, when people mention this case, they mention it more in line with like Brown v. Board of Education. That's huge. I mean, how do you feel about that? I mean, that, that was the aspiration, I know, from our lawyers to kind of have that broad long-term um, impact mm-hmm. as, a, as a court case in, in, this, in, in the history of this country and the constitution and, or the impacts of the constitution, excuse me. And the thing is like, whatever those cases have been accompanied by or have have um gone in tangent in terms of you know moving history and and progressing history with movements on the ground after my first um interview for this is when i was 15 for uh, the case against the state of oregon not this federal case we've been talking about after the first interview for that case um they said you know wow you just gone to to court for the first time you're 15, what, what do you do next? And I was like, well, you know what? I don't know how long it's going to take, but back to the streets I go. That was, that was the printed in paper, you know, that was my attitude. But definitely this, the litigation aspect is really important as one of the parts of, or one of the pieces of the puzzle of change making. And in terms of, you mentioned internationally, just this past week, our family in, I said it in like a friend term, because I think of, I really do think of all of the plaintiffs in this case as family. As Levi mentioned, 
you know, he was an only child and he thought of us as his family. Now he actually does have a, a sibling. Um, but anyways, our family members in Norway just had a hearing. They went the, the past week, they had hearings for their case. Um, and, and of course I don't know the verdict because it's a Norwegian and I can't, I don't know how to read that. I don't read Norwegian anyways, trying to follow along on social media and it's challenging. I'll wait for the, I'll wait for them to, to update me in English. But, um, you know, it's really important, this litigation aspect, because we are talking about climate change, which we know is, uh, all types of systemic issues that have fueled this crisis, all types of power holders, you know, government, industry, institutions that have funded this problem. But depending on where in the globe you're addressing climate change, the, the most, you know, that, that might look different. So in Norway, they are, I mean, they're appealing obviously to the government, but they're looking at the industry and protecting a very important part of the country from offshore drilling and from oil exploration. And so in places all over the world, we're addressing climate change through the courts, you know, permanent protections with climate change and the rights to a stable climate system in mind. But you might be addressing the root cause, like what is the problem? What are we trying to protect? What are we trying to push out, et cetera, et cetera, differently according to what's, you know, the, the most direct impact and the most immediate harm in those places. Now for the, for the U.S., our government has a dirty history of contributing 25% of the global of the global emissions of CO2. So we have a huge responsibility on the global world to really address this crisis. But um, I don't know. I, I, that was kind of a long-winded answer, but that was great. No, that was good, Captain. No, that was that was awesome. No, I mean, I think that's. I mean, you just it speaks to the 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 impact of this case around the globe, like other cases, like and and that's that's similar to how other landmark cases in this country have had, not only in this country, obviously, but around the globe as well as the civil rights movement. It has also, you know, people mirror Dr. King or they mirror. Um, you know, Dorothy Height, or they mirror those, you know, folks in the rights movement and, you know, in Egypt or, in, you know, or in Norway, they mirror them now. But so, you know, so that's obviously, you know, they will mirror and they are mirroring um, this case, which I think is amazing. I mean, that's something you can, um, you know, I mean, obviously you, you're both very young, so you have a lot more work ahead of you. But I mean, this is what, that is important, you know, and I guess Vic, you know, this year, as you think about that same thing about how this case is, you know, looked upon as, you know, very similar as a, as a case to help spur other cases to create that change. Um, you know, what are your thoughts as, you know, as someone as a person of color looking at climate justice being racial justice and, you know, seeing all what's going on. I know you, I know we've spoken about this before, but, you know, I think, I guess it's coming home right now, right? I mean, it's like this case and issues of racial justice are all kind of colli colliding. You know? And like, what are your thoughts on, on where we are right now in that regard? Yeah, I think that um, right now, not even just in the context of the lawsuit, but the climate movement in general um, is having to come to a lot of terms with uh, how deep and nuanced really the intersections are between 
on racial justice issues and climate justice and climate change and understanding that even trying to silo those issues anymore at this point isn't productive, but what is is trying to build the biggest level of understanding that we can about um, how in, how these issues overlap and not just pointing to examples of environmental racism in the sense of maybe a community that's in front of pollution, but also realizing that things like police brutality um, come from a lot of the same root justice issues like white supremacy and capitalism and things like that that um, lead to climate justice issues. And I think that right now, at least in my work, um, communicating that and like trying to teach other people how to communicate that and putting people onto resources where they could unpack their own biases that would stop them from being able to understand that is kind of one of the first steps. And kind of like what I said earlier in relation to our journey on the lawsuit, I feel like throughout my time on the lawsuit, um, I've been able to learn more about how to speak on those issues, just being given a platform um, and been, being able to, and I've been on a personal journey to learn more um, about how to how to really tangibly teach people how to apply the empathy that's needed to like understand those concepts. No, that's real. No, that's real. You know, at the end of the movie, um, it ends, I guess that's this year, huh? I guess it's January 17, 2020, right? I guess that's, that's not, it seems, I guess that seems, that, um, the, that, is that right? Right, right, that's so much. So it January is. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Kelsey. No, I just, I, I remember because it, it, it ends with the, the dismissal. Yeah. I remember that car ride home. My parents picked me up from work. It was in the middle of work and I was getting bombarded with people coming in to my place of work and asking me questions. And I was like, what are you talking about? I have no idea because I had not found out the news yet. And they came and because they recognized that that would probably be an issue. Mm. Um. And so they came and picked me up and that was before COVID. And I think that was this January or February, which is just Yeah, nah, January 17th. Where were you, Vic? And what were your thoughts when you heard the news of the ruling? Of which ruling, sir? That, um, the, the one, the, the last one from the Knights the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And then actually, here she was saying, for folks, you just, so folks who saw it, saw it. It was so, we're talking about the ruling on, on January 17th, 2020, was the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals recognize the gravity of the evidence on, obviously, the plaintiff's injuries from climate change, the government's role in causing them, that the government is violating the plaintiff's constitutional rights. However, uh, judges also reluctantly, I guess, concluded that the plaintiff's required remedies should be addressed by the executive and legislative branches rather than the courts. And obviously, they have appealed to convene a new panel of the 11th Circuit judges, but the decision could take years. And so, when you, where, where were you when you when you found that out, Vic? And what were your what were your thoughts? Um, yeah, I I remember I don't remember exactly where I was, but I just remember um, getting a text from a friend I was close to in the movement. Um, talking about the case and actually not being flat. I was like, oh, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, and then kind of going online and, um, and then hearing from the lawyers and learning about what happened. And I just remember, um, I didn't feel any like deep, like, you know, 
like we've kind of been saying, this entire thing is a process. Um, and we've had a lot of ups and downs and uh, legal terms that I don't understand. <laughs> um, but I always know, I, I, I remember not being like totally dismayed and just seeing it as part of the broader process, um, and part of the story. Hmm. Kelsey, do you believe that there have been changes in the way that organizations and our government actually see the climate crisis since Juliana versus the United States uh, was first filed against the U.S. government? Uh, I, I do. I mean, it was interesting how it seemed to be the people in the movement that had already been in the movement that were having a hard time and, you know particularly older generation, older people, older generations who had already been in the movement, it seemed like they were having the hardest time of really grasping this movement, um, grasping our case. Mm -hmm. And so in the beginning, I would have a lot of people saying, how, how did it feel when the government, oh, sorry? Like, what do you mean when you say that? I mean, I would have, you know, people older than my parents' generations, even, um, people of the raging grannies, you know, groups come up to me and say, how, how does it feel to be a young person and have the government try and try and get in the way of you hold, you know, holding the fossil fuel industry accountable. And I was like, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about. It's actually, we want to focus on the government. We want to focus on, on holding them accountable, uh, holding them accountable because absolutely the fossil fuel industry is at fault and we need to dismantle the fossil fuel industry and say goodbye permanently. But who has permitted this system? Who has funded the system? It's the government. And so it's important to tell that story as well as fight the pipelines and fight fracking and fight coal, you know, and, and all those other amazing necessary fights. We also need to be drawing attention to, you know, this, this, what has been behind the doors, the powers, the whatever collusion behind the doors that from government that has um, continually funded the fossil fuel mm. industry expansion. So, yeah, it was interesting to have that conversation with people and say, yeah, all of these fossil fuel industry sucks, but unfortunately, our government, no matter no matter, you know, their environmental stances or anything, Obama wanting to be a climate champion, well, he did not follow through with those um, aspirations from, from his administration. No, that, that's real. That's actually so, I mean, we got to, that's, and then I guess that leads to, I mean, you know, in that, in that, um, we now are getting rid of a climate denier is out on his way out from the White House, but we, we do have a situation where, um, you know, hopefully with uh, Biden-Harris coming in, we are more in line to um, dealing with the climate crisis. So I guess it's a question for you both. Of course, you, Vic, Vic, are you hopeful um, that we have a climate denier coming out of office and a new administration coming in office? Um. I think it definitely makes the reality less bleak. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's 
like Kelsey said, we filed this lawsuit against the Obama administration. Um, and it's no like particular party or agenda that is going to change sort of the inherent injustice of like the US energy system. Um, so I think that I'm definitely, like I said, more, a little more hopeful, seems less bleak, but also ready to keep doing um, sort of the, the pushing back that we've been, always been doing. Kelsey? Yeah, you know, reading Biden and Harris's energy plan or environment and energy plan and, and their strategy to tackle climate change. I mean, the fact that climate change is one of the four top agendas, you know, during this transition um, in taking office, I think that speaks volumes to the the magnitude of a climate movement and all the work that has been the climate movement has been doing for years and years and years and years. To, to have climate change be a priority of this new administration. But the politics underneath all the language is the same, which is this idea that we can have both capitalism and with that fossil fuel industry and consider the needs of the environment and take a, a climate change seriously. And the reality is we can't. We can't continue to operate with this system of, of capitalism and on the fossil fuel um, energy agenda. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And, you know, clearly, 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 the fact that climate change is one of the top four agenda items and underneath that, you know, climate justice and paying attention to, you know, who is, who are we, you know, from whose leadership are we listening to? Um, that is amazing. And that means that we're doing our jobs as the climate movement, but we need to be very clear in that it's time to change these systems as usual. And we cannot operate the way things are. We can't just, you know, replace coal with clean coal. That's not an option. That's not what we're talking about when we say, you know, address climate change. And so we have a lot of work ahead of us, but I'm, I'm so much more hopeful. And I'm so proud because of clearly our work is paying off and clearly our voices are being heard. It is, it is. I just got to, first of all, I want to thank y'all both for being with me here on the, on the show. Uh, I just got two more questions for you. Um, these are gonna be fun though. So buckle your seatbelt. Get ready, Vic. Come on, Kels, get ready. You know, you know, Rev gonna bring something crazy. It's gonna be a lot of, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun. So you know I gotta say these last. So actually, so you know, at the Hip Hop Caucus, we are actually doing um, I think Kelsey, I think I don't think you've seen it, Vic, but I think I know Kelsey's still in a little trailer of one of our documentaries that we got in the works. So we actually got some stuff from I so I moved, so before I mentioned Hip Hop Rev was you know, follow me around like you guys. And I root behind the camera now a little bit. So now I'm kind of like, you know, uh, figuring out what goes into the film. So knowing all that was shot, knowing everything, I'm, I'm going to get, now this was a, let me say this, I always see folks, we, we hope you, you obviously could be a part of this amazing podcast. You hopefully would have seen, if you haven't seen it, please, please, you still have time to either go to the film festival or when it comes out mainstream, check out this amazing, amazing film needs to be good. But 
I'm assuming everybody who is listening right now has seen it. Um, so you've seen it. And so big shout out to the uh, director and the producers and all the executive producers who put this together. Amazing work putting this film together. Um, right now, I want to give you both that director's hats. So knowing what was in the film, uh, what were you surprised didn't make it into the film? Like what, 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 is, what was something that you know happened that you like, hmm, that should have been in the film. You know what I mean? So I see Vic. I see Vic. Vic got his. He got his. He got his. He got. He got. He got. He didn't. He didn't put the braids back a little bit. So I'm gonna let him. I'm gonna let him go first on that one. Uh, Vic. Vic. That director. The. the uh, Vic. Vic. Spiel, Vic. Vic Spielberg. Uh, we we want to know what. We want to know what you would have. What. What. What was left on the cutting room floor, and you think you would have put in there. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's like a specific, specific moment that like comes to mind, but I always just think of like, um, uh, I don't know, like me, X, and Aji, a lot of the times we'd always be on some shenanigans or making some stuff when we're upset because we like sneak away to get food or like there's this waffle place in Eugene that we really loved and like <laughs> no matter what was happening we would just be like but can we like please go get waffles and then I'm also thinking just of like the less glamorous like moments of like I don't know having to ch- shuttle like 21 people and like kids around <laughs> and what that was like sometimes um you know, all of us in the Airbnb, like sleeping like four or five people to a room. <laughs> uh, I'll have them get ready in the morning. Um, yeah, yeah. Just thinking of like all the little, all the little things. I think. That's good. No, I, I actually, I, I think I would like to see the waffle scene. Actually, I think I would have been. A- <laughs> we were relentless. <laughs> I think I would have enjoyed that. Director Kelsey. What 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 was on left on the cutting room floor? You think you would have added back? Here? Oh my gosh, I agree with Vic. Like, just there's so many of the behind the scenes, just day to day. You know, dealing with um, just the most random logistics, getting people from point A to point B, and um, I mean, we're like young, but even myself, I don't know what court appropriate like just having to you know go figure out outfits and um all the random it just felt like playing dress up honestly and all the random logistics that had to be taken accounted for I will tell you the two things that I would have left out Mm. the two (laughs) Like I've left out, Christy. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, one of them was the Leo scene. Like, really, do we need to give more attention to Leo? I mean, I'm giving attention to him now, just naming him in this podcast. But it's like, really, sure, he retweeted us, but whatever. And <laughs> so that's one of them. And then another thing would have been. <laughs> The scene of myself and Hazel when we're getting ready in our hotel room and we have the face, we have these face masks on and we're 
<laughs> and we're talking about, we're like, <laughs> I'm ironing a jacket, which I tell you, I did not know what I was doing. Like, like I, I don't even think I did it right. I was just like, you know what? We have time to spare. I'm stressed as hell. Like, let's just do something. <laughs> so we like put on these little face masks and I'm ironing a coat jacket and she's, she's sitting there. We're talking and she said something like, yeah, tensions are like really high right now. And just the, it just sounded like we were scripted for reality TV. It was <laughs> so funny just talking about like the high tensions and how people are doing that cracked me up. Oh man, you know it's funny you said that because actually that actually was kind of scary. When looking at, it, I'm like, what? Yeah. As, as they, they got like really dry skin. What's going on? What is, what is happening in Oregon? <laughs> oh my God. I was like, what is going on? They got like, do we need to get like some dermatologists along with a lawyer? <laughs> what is going on? $2, two dollar sheet masks is how we um sustain ourselves in the climate movement. <laughs> oh man, that was that's that's great. That's great. Oh my goodness, that's so funny. Listen, this is my last question. And it's one that I guess it's um, you know, this long term and this you know, I guess this this goes to where we are. Um and I guess I'll start with you, Kelsey, then Vic. Just like you know, knowing what you know about now, about how strong and committed the fossil fuel industry is to our destruction, are you still hopeful? Yes, I am. Yeah, I am. Because um, we're so much stronger than them as a collective. And the reality is the fossil fuel industry is the, a typical motive in folklore. Like the fossil fuel industry is all about their fear-based, you know, well, we're going to run out of energy. You know, they're fear-based, they're greedy, money-driven. They lack love and compassion just as a general operating how they where they operate from is from fear and from greed fear and from greed are incredibly unsustainable things you will die from them if you harbor too much fear and greed in your heart you can die from that it will make you sick it will make you stressed it will lower your, your immunity that's not sustainable what is sustainable is love and joy and the climate movement we express in our you know, butterfly our um our sunflower, you know, Im images we express in, in our artwork, in our music, you know, in our, in our collaborative energy, we are based in love and joy. And the, the climate movement is based on building. It's based on creation. That is sustainable. We're going to keep going as a movement, as a people, we're going to keep going. And the fossil fuel industry is going to collapse. I hope it collapses tomorrow, but it's going to collapse because it is not sustainable just based on its core operating function. Hmm. So I am very hopeful. Hmm. Vic, this is my last question for you. I'm going to give you a gift. I want to give you a gift here. So 
tonight, when you go to rest and you go to bed, I'm giving you a gift. And this is the gift that I'm giving you. Um, you will be able to clap away one of two things. You can either clap away the climate crisis or you can clap away white supremacy. It's your choice. Mm. You only get one. One clap. <laughs> Which one? And the next morning, it'll be gone. In other words, we won't know. Either the climate crisis will be gone or white supremacy will be gone. Which one will you clap away? Yeah, I, well, I think like, I don't know, to me, I mean, but to me, I'm like white supremacy, <laughs> like, is what comes like initially. And I think what, what I was thinking about um, the question that you asked Kelsey and what it brings up to me is like, when you, when you say, um, considering how big the fossil fuel system is and how powerful it is and how destructive it, it is, do we feel like still as hopeful that it can be dismantled or that there's something next? Um, and I think if anything, like the last year and like the lessons I've learned has affirmed for me that like, yeah, there is a reality where that happens. Like the same reality where we defund the police system and totally revamp our criminal justice system and start investing in communities in an intentional way is definitely the same world where the fossil energy doesn't exist. You know, like the, <laughs> the uh, bright future that we're talking about has to include all of those things to really be the utopia that I imagine, really. Um, and I feel like over this last summer, you know, when we're talking about an the, when we're talking about the fossil fuel industry or when we're talking about something massive like white supremacy, what I've learned is that people power and people movements and when we actually, when people reach their breaking point and do what's in their hearts, um, a lot, a lot can change and a lot of eyes are shifted and a lot of conversations start happening. Um, and I think, you know, after this year of 2020 with COVID and the uprisings that happened over the summer after George Floyd's death, um, I I just really have a lot of hope that these people movements that we're seeing uprise, this power of the collective and mutual aid and reaching out and helping one another and trying to learn more about each other, um, it's going to be what gets us closer to dismantling white supremacy. It's going to be what gets us closer to having a fair energy system. All of these things need to change. So, um, yeah, I think I hope that sort of answers your question. <laughs> No, I think it was powerful. And I actually agree with you. I think that hope people really heard you. I think that they will understand that um, white supremacy is the extractive mentality. And if we get rid of that, actually, the, the, the irony is that we get rid of white supremacy, we'll get rid of the climate crisis. So you would have passed away the right thing. Thank you for that. So, uh, Kelsey, how can, how can folks find you if they want to reach you? I don't know what my name is. I'm clearly not very good at it. <laughs> That's it. There you go. And uh, some of the slow signals out there in Eugene, Oregon. <laughs> and she will, she'll find you. She'll get to get with you. Vic, how do people find you? Is it also a slow signal? Or is it another way of reaching? Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Vic Barrett, two R's, two T's, uh, underscore at Instagram. 
I was going to say dot com, but I realize that's not even a thing anymore. <laughs> Thank you, Kelsey. Thank you, Vic. And that's Kelsey, Juliana, and Vic Barrett, plaintiffs in the case Juliana versus United States, also known as UFIGOV. They are our guests today, and I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Think100Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100% which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. Think